International. And it, you may remember uh, back in February, uh, our pastor, Dan, went to Ghana uh, to teach uh, the Pentateuch. And so uh, that's with the same organization. And uh, Pastor Steer and Pastor Dan were there at the same time, although in different cities. Um, and just as a reminder that the goal of, of ELI is to equip uh, church leaders and to train them uh, to be in the church and to train them to train other uh, church leaders. Uh, so with that, I'd like to welcome uh, Pastor Steer uh, to the pulpit. Good morning. Good to be with you today. I very much appreciate you loaning us your pastor for a week in Ghana. Um, I have to admit, though, that I think he had a wonderful time. <laughs> and uh, something about his missionary's heart was touched again by, uh, by being able to be overseas. And so that's, that's the wonderful thing, one of many wonderful things about equipping leaders international, just to be able to take what we are so rich in, which is biblical truth, biblical training, biblical knowledge, and to share that with God's people overseas who desperately need it. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to do that. So thank you for that. Thank you for allowing me to... Uh, to open the word of God to you this morning. And so if you would please turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, not 1 Timothy. If it was 1 Timothy chapter 2, I would be preaching on the role of women in the church, and that's probably not wise today. Um, so 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And follow with me as I read. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for gathering us here together as your people, and we pray that you would give us hearts that desire to hear the word reverently, joyfully, and that you would teach us from your word and encourage us as we learn more about our Savior, Jesus Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. How many of you have seen Mary Poppins? Okay. Some 
you haven't seen Mary Poppins? Like, you really gotta see it. I mean, it's, you know, the graphics are a little old, but it's, it's a cute movie. One of my favorite parts of the movie Mary Poppins, and no, you can't guess, I've gotta tell you because it's my illustration. Um, <laughs> One of my favorite parts of the movie Mary Poppins is where she first comes into the house and the children are there and in the room and she brings her carpet bag and she, boom, she sets it down on the table and she starts pulling stuff out of it. Do you remember that? So she pulls stuff out of the carpet bag and you know, this and that and then she pulls a floor lamp out of the carpet bag and, and you stop and you think, there must be more room inside than there is on the outside. Or maybe what's on the outside doesn't really show what's going on on the inside. I think that's what the church is like. That's what the church is like. That the church of Jesus Christ many times is empowered by hidden divine realities. What we see on the outside, what we see when we come here on Sunday, what people see as they drive by, those, those things are external and to some degree they're deceptive. We're taught by our culture that the external is everything. Appearance is everything. I mean, we talk in politics about bad optics, right? It just looks bad. doesn't matter if it's bad or not. We're all concerned about how we appear. That's why I'm wearing a suit today, right? Because I want you to think I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but the external oftentimes, especially in spiritual matters, the external often does not tell you what is really going on? Let me see if I can illustrate this for you a little more clearly with regard to the church. Come with me back over a hundred years to the city of London. It's a winter night. Snowy, cold, the wind is blowing. It's a Sunday evening. And a church is gathering, a nonconformist church is gathering in London, and they come together for the service, and there's maybe 20 people there, right? Small church, they finally straggle in from the snow, and they sit there, and they wait. And the guy who was supposed to come and preach that night doesn't show up. Are you getting the feeling of, wow, this is really struggling place? So finally, one of the people, one of the men in the congregation figures, well, if he's not going to show, I guess I'll get up. And so this guy who's a tradesman, not a preacher, he gets up and he begins by reading the passage, look unto me all the ends of the earth and be saved. And... He does his best for the next 10 minutes or so to try to teach from that passage. And it's awkward. 
and he, know, he knows he's not doing a good job, and they know he's not doing a good job. All right? You, you feeling it? Externals, the optics are all pretty bad. He comes to the end of his sermon, sermonette, and he looks out at this small group of people, and in the back, underneath the balcony, he sees a young man who had just happened to walk in. He had been caught in the snow, and he decided he would come into this church instead of going to his own church. And so he looked at this young man, and he said, Young man, you look miserable. Now imagine, you're sitting in a group of 20 people, and he points you out. You look miserable. Look to Christ. And then he sits down. What we don't know, that young man was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. When he came to faith that day, he looked to came to faith in that little, struggling, awkward, uncomfortable service, God used his word, opened his eyes, and brought him to faith. And thousands upon thousands of people have benefited from the ministry of that young man. He goes on to become, as you well know, or you ought, he goes on to become perhaps the premier preacher of the 19th century with the largest church in London and just a tremendous witness for the gospel. But that's where it started. The externals often deceive us. What appears outwardly is not really what's going on. The infinite God is often doing something much greater than what appears to us. All right, you got it? Mary Poppins, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, what we see on the outside is a whole lot different from what's really going on in the inside. That's the church. Now, we come to the passage. Paul's writing to Timothy. Second Timothy is his final letter that we have a letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, Pastor Timothy, pastor of the church in Ephesus. And Timothy is struggling because his mentor is in prison again. Uh, we don't know if this is the last one or if it's the next to the last one, but he's, Paul's going to be dead soon. Um, his church is struggling. All you have to do is read Acts chapter 20 and see the kind of things that were going on in the church. He had, don't listen, elders. He had elders in his church that were real problems. He had people in his church that were coming out of the occult and all the stuff that went along. I mean, it was a tough pastorate, all right? Besides, there's persecution on the way. And so Paul is writing to Pastor Timothy and he's saying to him, Timothy, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love. Stir up the gift that is in you by the laying on of my hands. 
All right, and he's encouraging Timothy all the, all the way across the board. And then he begins to turn to Timothy's ministry in chapter 2. And he says, you need to take what you've been given, that treasure that you've been given, and commit it to faithful men who can teach others also. Timothy, you need to be teaching your church, the people in your church, the things that they need to know in order that they can go out and do the work itself. It, it's not all on your shoulders. And then he comes to this, to me, fascinating passage. And he says, Timothy, verse 8, he says, Timothy, sorry. That wasn't intentional. Uh, Timothy remembered Jesus Christ. One of the things that when I'm in Africa, I, I try to tell the guys when I'm teaching them, I said, you have to query the text. When you're, when you're reading the scripture, you have to, that's a word we don't use very often, but they're, they're Brits by training, all right? You have to query the text. You have to ask questions of the text. Why would Paul say to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ? This guy's a pastor. That's all he does. Timothy to remember Jesus Christ because we often forget him. Even as pastors, we often forget him. We get so involved in the doing of what we're supposed to be doing. You know something about this, right? We get so involved in the doing of the stuff that we never stop or seldom stop, except maybe in the mornings, maybe in the evenings, stop and think, oh yeah, Jesus, oh, thank you, Lord really appreciate it, saved, sins forgiven, got to go to bed. He says, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. You've got all this stuff on you. You've got all this pressure going on. You've got all this stress. You're worried. You're afraid. You're anxious. And a lot of that has to do with your church. But Timothy, I want you to understand that there's something going on in the church that the externals that you're worried about will not show you. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. This is not, from Paul's viewpoint, this is not just the idea of stop and think about Jesus. This is, remember who he is. Remember his relationship to the church. Remember what that means. And I'm speaking to you as a church. And the title of the sermon is, The Church, a Boundless Place. A Boundless Place. So the first thing I would say to you is this. The church is a boundless place. Number one because of the person of Jesus Christ. Where Jesus is present, there is boundless potential. That little service in that little nonconformist church with 20 people there and a, a young man unhappy in the back, Jesus was present there and something happened 
that was remarkable. And that still has its effects today. All right? Like Timothy, we so often tend to look at the church in terms of externals. We tend to look at the church and we look around and we say, well, who's here? Who's not here today? How many people are here? How much is being given? What's taking place? Who's involved? Who's not involved? And Paul would say to us, as he said to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. The church is not an organization. The church is the body of Christ. And where he is, there is boundless potential. church has a tremendous work to do. But because of the presence of Jesus Christ, it is never alone in doing that work. Christ is always there. Christ is always present. Christ is always empowering. That's the point of the Great Commission. We miss, many times, the import of the Great Commission where Christ says, go into all the world. And we think, okay, we're supposed to go. Yes, yes, you are. But what did he say before that? You remember, some of you are nodding sagely. I can't tell if you're falling asleep. (laughs) He said, it's the first of the four alls in that passage. He says, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You go. In that power, in that authority, I'm sending you. So it's not, you go and maybe I'll show up once in a while. It's, you go because I'm sending you and I'm with you. So the church and God's people are never alone and the work they do. And there is boundless potential in that work because Christ is always present with us. Always. We have his promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. Now if we wanted to, and we probably don't have time because I am watching my clock here a little bit. We could go in and we could talk about, because in this, pa- this passage you have the deity of Christ, you have the humanity of Christ, but let me just point out two things that you have here. You have Christ as the offspring of David. That's, in Paul's mind, Christ the King. Christ the King. All right, He is the eternal King. And so when we think about Jesus Christ, the first thing Paul wants us to understand is that He's the one who's ruling all things for the church. Ephesians tells us he has been made head over all things for the church. For you. Christ rules everything in heaven and on earth for you. So that you can do what he's called you to do. Is that awesome or what? You still look like you're processing. This is amazing. He is the king, and he is with us, and he rules all things. I could tell you stories. I don't have time. But 
see amazing things that happen on the mission field. And how God in Jesus Christ just simply provides for things and opens doors and closes doors. It's remarkable. So Christ is the one with all the power. Christ is the one who is the head over the church. He has promised, Matthew chapter 16, I'm just galloping now. He's promised he's going to build his church, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He has continued from the very beginning to empower his church. I know we're uncomfortable with the whole concept of the Holy Spirit, but get over it. The Holy Spirit lives within you and has gifted you with gifts for the service, not just of this church, but of the church around the world. And you may be surprised one day, as I was, when God just sort of says, all right, you're done here in this little tiny church. I want you to go to Africa and teach pastors. Go do it. I'll take care of the rest. And he has. The church is boundless because of the person of Jesus Christ. That's point one. Point two, the church is boundless because of the power of the gospel, the power of the word of God. Here's Paul, and you have to get this picture. Paul is in prison. He's chained probably his arm, is chained to the arm of a Roman soldier, a member of the Praetorian Guard. They are there. This man is under arrest. He is designed, or uh, destined, I guess would be the word, to see and to receive the judgment of Caesar himself, probably Nero at this point. So if they lose him, they die. So they're going to make sure that this guy doesn't go anywhere. He's chained. He's probably living in a house, not in a dungeon per se. But he's chained to a Roman soldier. Well, actually not. Because from Paul's standpoint, the soldier is chained to him. Paul looks at it and he says, I'm chained like a criminal, but the word of God is not chained. It's the same word. It is not chained. It is not bound. The word of God is not bound. Now, in the immediate context, Paul is saying, God put that guy here, and he chained him to me so that I have a captive audience for the gospel. I mean, it's really sometimes just a matter of perspective. And it's true because he tells us in Philippians that even among the Praetorian Guard, Caesar's Guard, there are people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Paul was in prison, chained to them, and they're chained for, who knows, 12 hours. What do you think Paul's doing that whole time? He's telling them about Jesus. And they come to faith. And then the next guy comes in, and Paul says, chain me up. <laughs> church is boundless because, because, I have to get to the next page of my notes, because wherever the word of God is preached, you won't let me turn to that, 
wherever the word of God is preached, there is boundless potential. There is boundless potential. The word of God has its own power. Now, we tend to focus on preachers. We, we talk about preachers like they're commodities on a buffet. You know, I like him. Don't, I don't like him. Doesn't, doesn't meet my needs. Um, but if we focus on preachers, we're focusing in the wrong place. The focus should be on the Word of God. Remember that guy who preached in Spurgeon Belief? Awkward, really awkward. But the Word was there, the truth was there, and the power did the work, not the preaching. All right? So Paul says, secondly, Timothy, I want you to remember the Word of God is not bound. You're in a situation, you're all tied up in knots about all these things that are going on. One, remember Jesus Christ and his commitment to the church. Two, remember that the word of God is not bound. We have this tendency all the time to think about how the word of God can't do. We think, well, you know, persecution and and it's not even legal to evangelize in some countries. I mean, how are people going to hear the gospel? What about imprisonment? What's, you know, pastors are being put in prison. Let me tell you some stories. Susan just came back from an MTW conference. She talked to a lady who's a missionary in Berlin, the Stoddards. You may know them. Um, and do you know where their main ministry is right now? In Berlin, who are they ministering to? Not Germans. Refugees. Muslim refugees who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But we look at it and we say, oh man, all of this immigration that's going on, it's going to destroy the culture of Europe. Remember, externals. And what God's really doing? What God's really doing in much of that is he's bringing people out of the Middle East, out of North Africa, where in many cases they will never hear the gospel, and he's bringing them to places where they will. If the word doesn't go to them, God brings them to the word. And the word still has its power. What about imprisonment? Well, years ago, I met a man. His name was Mikola. Mikola was from Ukraine. And during the old Soviet years, kids, you don't remember this, but those of us who have a little gray hair, we remember the Soviet Union. And the Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. Mikola was a believer. Mikola was preaching. Mikola was starting churches. The Soviet Union was atheistic. They don't believe there is a God. And so they said, if you won't shut up, we're going to put you in prison. And they did. And he continued preaching and sharing the gospel. And within a couple of years, half of the prisoners in the prison were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They had started a church. And they were evangelizing the people in the prison. And the Soviet leaders are 
tearing their hair out. What are they going to do? They did all they could do. They let him go. And he just kept right on guarding churches and praying. Imprisonment does not stop the power of the word. But what if, what if you make evangelism illegal? Most Muslim countries today, Christian evangelism is illegal. Let me, I have a list. This is a list that comes from the Akinga Institute of the Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Here's a list of the 10 countries in the world where the church is growing fastest. High percentage, growing fastest. Care to guess? Nah, I'll just tell you. Nepal, Hindu. That's number one. Two, China. We knew that. That's just growing by leaps and bounds there. Three, United Arab Emirates. It's illegal. Doesn't matter. Four, Saudi Arabia. Five, Qatar. Qatar. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. They don't have a U after the Q. Um, Oman. Yemen. Muslim countries, Mongolia, Cambodia, Bahrain. Most of those places, it's illegal to evangelize, and it's happening. Why? Because the word has its own power. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation. Not the preacher, not the method, not the program. It is the word of God itself that contains the power for salvation. I've got to give you one more story. Another Spurgeon story. Uh, years after, and he's a well-known preacher at this point, Spurgeon was supposed to preach at a place in London called the Crystal Palace. Now, this is back in the day when they didn't have these things, all right? No amplification. So Spurgeon had to be, have an amazing voice to be able to preach to thousands of people at the same time, right? Without amplification. But he wanted to make sure, so he goes to the Crystal Palace. It's empty. It's the day before. He goes to the Crystal Palace. He stands where he was going to stand to preach, and he says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Listens to how it echoes around, says, good deal. Walks away. Years later, a man comes up to him. Now, you have to remember, Spurgeon has a photographic memory, which really helps with sermon preparation. A man walks up to him and says, I'm one of your converts. And Spurgeon looks at him and he says, I don't know you. He says, no, but I am. Do you remember the Crystal Palace? And they walk through that. He says, I was there cleaning up in the balcony. And I heard the word of God. And God called me to faith. 
was no sermon. It was just quoting a verse. But the power is in the gospel. It is in God's word. God in Isaiah 55 says, my word, when I send it out, it will always accomplish the goal that I send it to accomplish. Always. It will not return to me empty. So the church is a boundless place, secondly, because it is the place where the word of God is proclaimed. And wherever the word of God is proclaimed, there is boundless potential. doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. The word of God is there. Jesus Christ is there. Thirdly, and I'm coming to the close here. Thirdly, the church is a boundless place because, as Paul says in the next few verses, because of God's purpose of God's purpose. If you're one who likes alliteration, it's person, power, and purpose. Right? The person of Jesus Christ, the power of the word of God, and the purpose of God. Because he goes on and he says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The church is a boundless place. God has sent it out into the world to accomplish a great work. And that work is to fulfill his purpose. And his purpose is to call to himself every last one of his people. Now, I'm not going to preach on election. Some of you are going to be disappointed, but that's not the point of the sermon this morning. But election is true. In fact, the word in Greek for the church is ekklesia, the ones who were called out, the ones who were chosen, all right? And so they are called out by God. That is his purpose. That is why you're here today. One, because you were called, and two, because you have a task to be involved in the calling of others, whatever that involves. And so the purpose of God, wherever the church exists, because of this purpose, wherever the church exists, there is boundless potential. Christ is there. The word of God is there. And God is working through the church to accomplish his purpose in the world. Don't be fooled by Mary Poppins' bag. Don't look at the bag and say, there's nothing going on there. There's more going on than meets the eye. Because God is at work. God is doing his work in and through the church. Paul says, my difficulty." The suffering I'm going through, and I have to tell you this, if you read this passage, the word suffering comes up again and again and again. There is a theology of suffering in the word of God. And suffering is part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It takes many different forms, but it's there. But Paul says, I endure the things that I'm enduring for the sake 
of the elect. I see the bigger picture. I see what God's doing. Now, let me encourage you to take some time and look at what God is doing. Remind yourself of what God is doing in your life, what he's already done, and what he has promised that he will do. Because he has been faithful to his promises to you, has he not? And he will continue to be faithful to you. And he is using you and using your circumstance, both for your good and for his glory. One more thing I want to say. Paul goes on and he quotes, which is something that is probably the earliest hymn we have record of in the scriptures. Uh, and it, if you've got the ESV, it's set off in poetic setting, okay? I, don't, I, I preached a sermon on that, and, and I'm not going to do that today. But I just want you to notice the last phrase, the very last phrase. What does it say? Somebody? He cannot. Does not say will not. He cannot deny himself. God is engaged in the work of this church. Jesus Christ is here. The word of God is present here and is proclaimed here. And God is working out his purposes through this church. He cannot deny himself. His commitment to you as the people of Jesus Christ is absolutely unshakable. If he were to fail you, he would cease to be God. That's what that means. He cannot deny himself. His character as God is involved and committed to what you are doing in this place. With all of your sin, with all of your failure, with all of your waffling and your wondering, God cannot deny himself. And because of that, the church, this church, is a boundless place. There are no boundaries to what God can do through you. Amen? Pray with me. Father, <laughs> help us Help us to see just a little glimmer of the glory of this passage and of what you were doing and will yet do. Help us to see Jesus Christ. Help us to see the power of an unbound word. Help us to see your commitment to us and that we are not.
cannot be denied because you cannot deny yourself. Father, we pray for your glory in this place. In Christ's name, amen. We have opportunity to respond to God's preached word, hymn number 308.